So, uh, just to introduce us, I'm Dr. Anne Sharevsky. I'm editor of the journal. And with me is Dr. Nick Panay, who is chairman of the British Menopause Society and a consultant gynaecologist at Queen Charlotte's and Chelsea Westminster Hospital. Hello, Nick. Hello, Anne. Just to discuss these papers, the journal has been publishing on HRT and breast cancer. Um, there have been a number of studies claiming that uh, breast cancer risk is increased in users of HRT. Tell us a bit about the studies and what effect they've had on HRT prescribing. Uh, well, the studies uh, involved um, a number of uh, research projects, one which um, uh, looked at uh, the general usage of HRT by Cancer Research UK uh, in a uh, general population, uh, an observational trial which found uh, an increased risk with duration of usage. Um, and uh, this uh, then uh, followed on to a study which uh, was referred to as the Million Women's uh, Trial, uh, again, an observational trial uh, surveying women who were attending for their breast cancer screening. Um, and they were asked about, uh, amongst other questions, hormone therapy usage. And then the incidence of breast cancer was followed up uh, in the breast cancer registries. And again, um, uh, a small increased uh, risk was found uh, in hormone therapy users, more so in women using estrogen and uh, progesterone as opposed to those using estrogen alone. Along the same sort of time as cancer research were doing these trials, uh, an American group called the Women's Health Initiative conducted uh, a couple of large randomized trials as well as an observational trial uh, looking at the impact of a conjugated equine estrogen preparation with medroxyprogesterone acetate or in women who'd had a hysterectomy uh, using conjugated equine estrogens alone. Um, and these were randomized placebo-controlled trial, trials in uh, a large number of subjects, over 16,000 women. Um, those uh, WHI trials also found uh, a small uh, increased risk of uh, breast cancer which, again, was alarmingly uh, reported as a percentage increase. Um, and this only occurred with subsequent reanalysis in the women that had been using hormone therapy for uh, at least five years and had previously been exposed to HRT. What became clear was that the women that hadn't used uh, HRT before uh, didn't actually uh, reach statistical significance in terms of uh, breast cancer risk. And there was a trend towards reduction in risk of breast cancer, uh, which just reached statistical significance in women using estrogen alone. Uh, now, the papers in the journal um, aimed to look at uh, these studies in a critical way and determine whether the design of the studies and the subsequent statistical analyses were accurate enough and statistically significant enough to be able to determine whether uh, the increased incidence of breast cancer was indeed due to hormone therapy or due to other confounding variables, the age, the family history, personal history of the individual, uh, other medical conditions, smoking, alcohol, etc. And whilst these studies 
in themselves said that there might be a small increased risk. Uh, the expert opinion of Samuel Shapiro, an eminent epidemiologist from South Africa, was that the studies did not have the adequate design and power uh, to be able to determine direct causation. Uh, as a result of this, uh, I wrote a uh, commentary on the critiques uh, of the WHI and the Million Women's Study and the collaborative reanalysis of Cancer Research UK to say that if there is a risk, then it's very likely that this risk is small, and we have to keep these risks in perspective when prescribing for our patients. And for the majority of patients who don't have specific risk factors for breast cancer, uh, the benefits outweigh the risks for using hormone therapy if they have significant symptoms which are distressing them and other problems such as osteoporosis. What actually has been the effect of these studies in, you know, in doctors prescribing HRT? What's actually been happening? Well, it had a devastating effect. Um, women came off HRT in their droves, um, and about 60% discontinued hormone therapy uh, in the decade following uh, uh, the Women's Health Initiative trial. Now, some of these women didn't actually need to be on hormone therapy and fared reasonably well after coming off, but others were left with debilitating symptoms which significantly affected their well-being and quality of life, and it's recognized that there has been an increased uh, uh, presentation of women with osteoporosis-related problems as well. Um, and uh, this was reported by the media as thousands of women suffering in silence. Uh, we performed a survey through the Menopause Matters uh, website, uh, which showed that given the current understanding of risks, 50% of the women that came off would not, in fact, have chosen to come off their hormone therapy. And what, what can you do about this? Have you sort of been telling GPs how to prescribe? Have you issued some guidelines that might help them feel more secure about prescribing? I, and I think it is very much about education. And what we have to do is provide the information so that GPs can uh, advise their patients appropriately. So through the British Menopause Society, we've recently issued uh, recommendations and guidelines which we've submitted to the Department of Health, and we're hoping that through the Department of Health, and also we've been liaising closely, closely with the Royal College of GPs, these guidelines will be disseminated to primary care uh, so that we can have appropriate discussions about the pros and cons of HRT and rational prescribing as a result of that. And when are these guidelines likely to be published? Well, um, the recommendations have already been published in the uh, Menopause International Journal, which is the journal of the British Menopause Society, and have also been published by the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Um, but more than that, what we want to do is uh, aim for uh, improved training programs within uh, menopause. Uh, we currently administer a menopause certificate through the faculty, and we'd like to see that rolled out to all GPs that would be interested to uh, gain a further specialization within the area. And my aim really is to have at least one GP with a special interest in menopause um, working within each practice uh, in the country. Um, that will take a lot of resources, 
Um, but it's a name that I think is worth striving for. The other thing that uh, is of relevance is that the um, Department of Health have recently commissioned the National Institute of uh, Health and Clinical Excellence to uh, develop a guideline on the diagnosis and management of the menopause. And I think this will be um, really important because it will identify quality indicators and uh, will allocate quality outcome framework points to the management of menopause and related health. And this will also encourage uh, the management of menopause within primary care. Brilliant. What, what would you say one of the interesting things was, which was, I think, covered in the final Shapiro article about the fact that uh, breast cancer rates have actually been falling in the last few years, and this has been attributed by many to the reduction in prescribing of HRT precisely after those studies were published. What, what do you say to that? Uh, the view of uh, Sid Shapiro, and I share his view, um, is that the fall in breast cancer rates isn't necessarily related to the decline in HRT usage. Uh, and once again, uh, the ecological studies which have been performed uh, have not had uh, uh, sufficient statistical rigor to uh, prove this one way or another. Uh, an example um, is the fact that in a number of countries, the fall in breast cancer rates preceded uh, the reduction in HRT usage. Um, so, again, that would go against uh, the fall being uh, directly due to discontinuation of HRT, uh, and there may be other factors uh, involved, um, such as uh, attendance for screening, for instance. So what would you say to a doctor who's not a specialist and a woman comes saying, shall I go on HRT or not? What would you recommend? How would you recommend that conversation should go? Well, every woman should be given the opportunity to discuss the pros and cons of hormone therapy. And the view that I have and the British Menopause Society uh, is that every woman, in fact, should be able to go along and have a, uh, an MOT, if you like, at the age of 50 in uh, primary care, uh, where hormone therapy alternatives and lifestyle interventions, such as optimization of diet and exercise and reduction of alcohol and smoking, etc., uh, can be discussed. And uh, the aim is to provide... Uh, women with adequate information, evidence-based information, so that they can make uh, a rational choice about what they wish to do uh, with regards to their symptoms, if they're symptomatic, and also preventive measures. Um, so it's about providing them or empowering them uh, with the information uh, so that they can make the, the choice that's right for them. And what's the current thinking about the length of time women should stay on HRT for? Well, the current thinking about time is that we shouldn't be placing arbitrary limits on how long women continue with hormone therapy. Uh, the correct length of time will vary according to the individual uh, wishes and uh, needs of uh, each woman. Now, the studies uh, that have been performed, and we've talked about their possible limitations suggested that after five years of usage, uh, there might be a small increased risk of breast cancer in some women. Most menopause symptoms uh, will last for three to four years. 
So for most women, it would be possible to treat them with hormone therapy without having to worry about the time when breast cancer risks uh, kick in. Having said that, there are a number of women whose symptoms continue beyond five years. Um, and I have a 90-year-old uh, who I'm looking after at the moment who still has menopause symptoms and is using hormone therapy, and she'd kill me if I took her off it. Um, and um, the, the message is that um, for those women that have ongoing symptoms, generally speaking, the pros outweigh the cons for continuing hormone therapy, uh, and so they should be allowed to do that, but of course with an uh, annual uh, re-evaluation of pros and cons. And what do you think about these various alternative therapies that women are turning to now that they're so scared of HRT? Well, first of all, I don't blame women for uh, wanting to turn to alternatives or needing to turn to alternatives. Clearly, if you're very worried about HRT and some of the, the media headlines have been very alarmist, um, then you will look for other options that are deemed to be safer. But in fact, uh, an alternative isn't necessarily safer. It may be less evidence-based. Uh, not only for effectiveness and safety. And generally speaking, unfortunately, the alternatives are not uh, as effective as traditional hormone therapy. Now, if you have somebody who has very mild menopause symptoms and wishes to manage those symptoms with a phytoestrogenic preparation, for instance, uh, which is derived from red clover or from soy, there are some uh, preparations which are more evidence-based than others in terms of the research that has been performed, so we guide them in that direction. Um, but for those women with moderate to severe symptoms, usually these preparations are insufficient to alleviate their symptoms. Are there any alternative therapies that you actually think are worth trying? Um, in terms of the alternatives which are more evidence-based, um, there are... Um, broadly speaking, two categories. Uh, there are phytoestrogenic preparations uh, and there are pharmacological options. Of the phytoestrogenic uh, preparations, um, there is a red clover preparation uh, which goes under the name of Promensor, which has had a number of randomized trials performed and that does tend to be uh, more evidence-based. Uh, and another one which is regarded as a phytoserm, a selective estrogen receptor modulator, um, under the name of femoral, which again has had a number of trials performed. Out of the pharmacological options, the most evidence-based ones are um, venlafaxine uh, or Effexor, which is its uh, proprietary name, uh, which is an SNRI. Um, and uh, this has to be used in a relatively low dose to begin with, 37.5 milligrams once a day, increasing to twice daily, uh, because otherwise nausea can be a problem. Probably the most effective pharmacological option is gabapentin, uh, which is typically used for neuropathic pain. But again, that can have side effects, so it's wise to start at a low dose, 300 milligrams once a day, and then increase on... Um, in weekly increments by 300 milligrams up to a maximum of 1.2 uh, grams uh, per day, um, assuming that it's well tolerated. And if we're actually looking at proper HRT um, uh, for use you know, as HRT, what, what sort of doses and do you like transdermal? Do you prefer oral? If, if, you're, you know, if I'm a GP just thinking about prescribing HRT to a woman, where would I start? What would I be thinking of? 
Ultimately, I recommend the type of HRT that the woman is most likely to use. But if she asked me what I think, given current knowledge, is the optimum type of hormone therapy, then I would probably guide her towards a transdermal estradiol because that avoids the first-pass metabolic effects in the liver. So there's good evidence that that, that, uh, that particular route doesn't increase the risk of thrombosis and doesn't have an impact on uh, blood pressure. Um, we start with lower doses than we traditionally did because lower doses uh, still control symptoms whilst minimizing side effects such as breast tenderness and fluid retention. And then for progesterone opposition, uh, I tend to favor the more natural types of progesterone. Um, so either micronized uh, natural progesterone itself, uh, either 200 milligrams on a cyclical basis or 100 milligrams on a continuous combined basis, or um, the closest to it, which is digesterone. Uh, and uh, we don't have digesterone uh, as a standalone uh, progestogen in the UK, but we do have combined preparations available. Okay, so in conclusion then, what's the way forward for this field? Well, and um, going back to um, the original discussion about the studies that have been done so far, uh, many of these studies were designed more than 20 years ago. And it's really important that uh, we uh, design and conduct uh, newer studies with newer preparations to further identify uh, the benefits and potential risks of HRT so that we can refine our preparations and target them appropriately uh, to our women who are suffering with menopausal symptoms. Um, the risks, we believe, are small anyway, uh, and anyone who is symptomatic that doesn't have a contraindication to hormone therapy uh, should be allowed to use it. But we're starting to uh, realize from pilot studies that have been done that there are differences between different types of estrogen and also between different types of progesterone. Um, and there are also selective estrogen receptor modulator preparations come along, coming along. Um, and through refinement of the types of hormone therapy uh, that we use uh, and using them in the correct age group for the correct indication, I believe that we can reach an, uh, a situation where the, the risks are, are completely negated and uh, we have benefits predominating. Um, and through that, that will enable, um, I believe, confidence to return to uh, appropriate hormone therapy uh, usage and prescribing. Um, and um, we may well uh, benefit not only the individual, but also um, the nation uh, or all nations as a whole by giving them a more productive, healthy uh, population of women going into their 70s and 80s that will be much less of a burden on the health services despite our, our, our aging society. Thank you very much again. That was Dr. Nick Panay speaking about HRT and breast cancer and, in fact, HRT more generally. Uh, the papers that uh, were being specifically discussed are available on the Journal of Family Planning and Reproductive Healthcare's website at jfprhc.bmj.com. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, go to podcasts.bmj.com.